volunteers. And so thank you kids for your service this morning. You did great. And thank you to all of our children's ministry volunteers for all that you do for our kids. Uh, we appreciate so much uh, your ministry uh, to our kiddos, and so thank you. Uh, Billboard uh, does a ranking of songs, a variety of genres, right? So we've got a country, and we've got pop, and we've got gospel. They all have their charts that, that rank music. And sometimes one will cross over from one list to another. So a gospel song will become popular and it will make it onto the pop charts. Well, there's only one song that has gone from the gospel list to the pop list all the way to number one. And this was a song that was released in 1958. It's a song called... He's got the whole world in his hands. And for those of you who weren't around when this song was released, um, it was released uh, by a British boy who was only 14 at the time named Laurie London. Um, he was a bit of a one-hit wonder. This was his only uh, record-setting uh, song. Uh, but it was on the gospel list and then made it to the pop list, and it stayed there for four weeks as the number one played song. It was the most successful record by a British male artist in the 1950s. It sold over a million copies, it went gold, and it made popular this American spiritual song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. It's a song that many of us know from our childhood. It's a song that we still sing with our kids. And since we have the kids in the room, let's sing this song together. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got the itty-bitty baby in his hands. He's got the itty-bitty babies in his hands. He's got the itty-bitty babies in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands and so that was on the pop charts in 1958 can you imagine being played on the radio it's such a simple message while at the same time incredibly profound to say that he has the whole world in his hands. It's a song so simple that we sing it with our children. It's a statement so cliche that we can forget what it actually means. He's got the whole world in his hands. Is this something that you really believe? Do you believe that God has the whole world in his hands? Now, many of us, because we are at church on Sunday morning, we do believe this, but many of us it is something so simple yet so profound. Do we really believe that he has the whole world in his hand? Because this crowd that likes to think big thoughts 
and think beyond the simplicity of a children's song. Maybe sometimes complicating things. He's in Athens. It's this cosmopolitan center where, where the intellectual heritage is strong. Philosophers like Plato and Aristotle influenced all of Western civilization in Athens. And this is where Paul comes to preach. The intellectuals of the city love to debate new ideas. And, and they, they come together in, in what they call the Areopag... I practice this word over and over knowing that I would do this. Areopagus. Huh? All right. Very good. Now Lee's correcting me from the pew. It has finally come to this. I've waited for this moment for six years that you would correct me from the pew. We are on a roll. They're intellectuals who love to debate. And as we've been going through these different stories, Paul is primarily preaching to a Jewish audience, or at least has a worldview from the Jewish heritage. And now we get into this place where there is no Jewish heritage. This is a, a completely Gentile audience that he is preaching to, that he's teaching to, that they don't, they don't share that same worldview. And so let's start in verse 16 of chapter 17 as we read through the story of Paul in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He's bothered by this. He's distressed by what's going on in the city. As was typical of his other journeys, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. There was a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and he began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And so they're really bothered by this newcomer coming in and messing with their philosophy, messing with their religious worldview. Here comes this outsider who starts talking about something different, some other way of thinking, talking about this resurrection thing. So they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, or whatever it is. <laughs> I took Latin in high school, too. I should know this kind of stuff. All right. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and, he, and, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now Paul starts to build his case to this audience, this intellectual audience who just likes talking about and listening to new ideas. And this is how Paul frames his message to this audience. He says in verse 22, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So he's been going through the city. He notices that there is this altar set up to this unknown God. We want to make sure we're catching all of them, that, that nobody is left out. We haven't missed one of the gods just in case the wrath of this God would come down on us. So we're going to build an altar to this unknown God. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it does, but we're going to have an altar to it anyway. And so Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Paul is among the temples, among the altars. And he's saying, this unknown God that you were ignorant of is the one that created everything else. That he's the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in anything that you built, especially this altar to this unknown God. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else, all those other things that you're worshiping. God has created and given those things. From one man he made all the nations and they should, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, since God created all of us, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. The created does not create the creator. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the, man, by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council and some became, became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus and a woman named Damaris and a number of others. So we have here the Athenians who have constructed these great temples, who have constructed these great altars to various gods. And Paul is coming in and he's making his way through all of this. He gets to this altar to an unknown God. And so we see here in this, this 
episode with Paul that there is this deep human need for worship. And this is something that, that we experience as well. We, we see in the world around us this deep desire for worship of something. Some of us may not be aware of that worship of something, but all of us are drawn to worship something, to put something above other things. It's hardwired into us. But without the gospel of Jesus, it's an unknown God. Without the good news of, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, then the worship of anything lacks meaning. But built in us is this yearning for something, this desire for something. And so he tells them and explains to them what this desire is. You have set up this altar to this unknown God. What is this all know, unknown God? I will let you know who this God is. This is the God that created the heavens and the earth. This is the one that created you and me. This is the one that has, as creator, authority of all lesser things. Any of the other gods, any of the other things that are worshipped, the idols, the things that are built by human hands, God is creator over all of those. He even quotes some of their own poets as he builds this case. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. That our being comes from God. And so Paul gives this case for belief in God. And he's, he's stating that, that not only his own life, but the lives of of the Athenians, are all in God's hands. In him we have our being. And so we put this into a contemporary context. Where would Paul show up today? What would be similar to Athens? Could it be Times Square in New York, where all the hustle and bustle focuses on the marketplace, focuses on the consumerism, focuses on pop culture? Could it be maybe a coffee shop in Seattle where they enjoy new ideas and new ways of thinking? Where would Paul be in this? And what would Paul say if he were to show up in a modern-day Athens? A place where people are craving spirituality, craving something to worship, but looking in all the wrong places. Would he say something like, Americans, I, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. I've observed how many of you are fonding of saying, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm aware of how increasing numbers of you never cross the threshold of a church but spend hours browsing religious books at Barnes & Noble. Many of you wear crosses around your neck, but hardly know why. You finger them in the moments of fear and anxiety and, have a, uh, and feel vaguely comforted. You sit at home channel surfing the televangelists and religious talk shows, hoping to glean some spiritual comfort, but you never linger long enough to submit yourselves to their teachings. You have an insistent curiosity about things religious and vow that one day you will do something about it. But somehow you never find the time. You just never find the time. There are many ways that we as Americans are pursuing spirituality. 
Maybe it's picking and choosing bits and pieces here and there of, of philosophies and, and ideas and concepts and, and pulling them together in some sort of strange mix of belief systems. But the religious or, or spiritual impulse that is deep within us gives us a significant clue to the reality of God. There is something out there. And this is the place that Paul starts. That this yearning that you have for this unknown God, there is a God that will answer that. There is a true God to place on that altar. And so we all have this same hunger for worship. Even though we may or may not have pursued it, or maybe it's disguised as something else. Something like recreation, or wealth, or education. We have these things that we pursue. But will we believe that God has the whole world in his hand? Like, really believe that. And so Paul starts his case with this idea of creation. God is creator. And this is the first revelation of who God is through what we see around us. And so we're going to watch a short video clip, a song. We've, we've watched it before in different, uh, different series and different messages reminding us of the God that we see through creation.
No. Mm-hmm. 